This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. There are any number of ways to approach marketing. How Stu Heineke does it, though, is unique. Stu is the author of How to Get a Meeting with Anyone and a Wall Street Journal cartoonist, and he started his own company using what he called contact marketing. By using cartoons in direct mailing campaigns, Stu proved that people connected to and responded to those mailers. And when he used that method to find clients, he walked away with a 100% conversion rate, unheard of in the direct mail world. On this episode of Marketing Trends, Stu tells his story and discusses his books. Plus, he explains how marketing has evolved over the years. Enjoy. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org, and we have... On the other line, marketer and cartoonist, Stu, what's going on? <laughs> good, good to be here. <laughs> crazy thing. It's, that's a crazy combination. It is. It is a little crazy, but uh, you know we're a little crazy here at Mission, so it works out. Stu wrote an amazing book, How to Get a Meeting with Anyone, The Untapped Selling Power of Contact Marketing, which is really interesting. And, uh, and he has a new book coming out called Get the Meeting, uh, which we'll talk about. But before we get into all that, Stu, how did you get into marketing in the first place? Well, you know, I, I studied marketing in, in college, so that, I guess that's the beginning of it. But um, I was, I've also always been really passionately interested in, uh, in cartooning, single panel cartooning, I guess is the best way to put it. And so um, as when I left school, um, I wanted to combine the two, realized that that was I don't know, for some reason that just made a lot of sense to me. I'll tell you why. Um, I became a, a member of the Cartoonist Guild and I was cartooning while I was marketing. And, and one of the things that I that came across um, my desk from them was an article from Folio Magazine that said that when we're talking about editorial readership surveys and that, uh, that cartoons are almost always the best read and remembered part of any magazine or newspaper they're in. And I thought, man, that's amazing. Right, I've loved cartoons, but it's, it turns out everybody does, and and it turns out they're really very powerful devices for mar- for marketing because you know, they stand out like that. I mean, it, so um, so I wanted to mix the two together, and um, and at one point I knew also that I wanted to use cartoons in direct marketing um, for for magazine publishers. So when I when I left school, it was it was at a time when personalization was becoming a force, we really talked about a while ago, but personalization was becoming very um, useful and, and widely used in, in direct marketing. And, uh, and, but then also magazines were a real force uh, at, at the time of, it was pre 9-11. Um, and and they, were, they, were, they were just very, very powerful and um, huge circulations. It was, I mean, print media was, was in its prime. And they used to pay a lot of money to creatives to uh, create campaigns for subscription acquisitions and, and renewals. I knew I wanted to break into that, and so that's that's sort of the, that's where the, the start of it, sort of the st- start of everything, came from. And my story was uh, was when I started applying cartoons to direct mail campaigns for publishers, and it took off really quickly. And it introduced me to contact marketing, actually. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I always think about this with, uh, you know, with any type of older content, whether it's, uh, you know, you could call it legacy content or, or whatever you want to say. Um, but I always think about this all the time. I'm like, what if we just built the plane out of the black box, right? Like the best part of all of these magazines was the cartoon. So then how could we, you know, bring that to the modern age? And it's like, mm-hmm. lo and behold, memes took off like an enormous, uh, you know, superpower content factory, user generated memes, all of this stuff. Nobody could have ever imagined that this stuff would happen, but really it's telling a story in one frame. It's telling, uh, something smart and funny and provocative, uh, and all of those things in a moment's notice. What, what, you know, skill set could be more important in today's age than that. And yet, where have all the cartoonists gone, right? Like, where have all the people uh, who was ho- who were honing those skills uh, go? You know, maybe you could argue that a bunch of them went to uh, some media companies and things like that. But I, I totally agree with you that um, there was this time where you know to be the to to be the cartoonist was this uh, prestige thing, and now. You know, I just wonder where those skill sets are, um, and and I'm curious. Like, what what do you think? Do, are are those people just repurposed now, or or what? Where's where is it? Oh no no no! They're still. I mean, you know, the New Yorker was always the top market for for cartooning in in the, in the U.S. anyway, and and that's still that's still going strong. But um, uh, I, I would say also though that that I mean, cartoons still have that same effect on people uh, when I send it to. If I send it to someone through the mail or whether I send it to them in an email, so on a screen, um, they still have this great effect. I mean, you know, I mean, people still love them and they still, they still have this magic about them that, um, that, that's quite pop, that's quite powerful and still quite popular. I mean, when I, when we put a cartoon in a, in an email campaign, um, we find, and we tell people that there's a cart, particularly if we tell them there's a cartoon about them, about them in the, in, in the email, then the open rates soar. They go way up, and they'll stay way up over over time. Uh, for example, if you were doing this as a, as a drip campaign with a cartoon each time, then it, be, it almost develops fanhood. So I think it's still there. Just that I I, I think might be the, the better question is where did all the magazines go? Because <laughs> they're just you know they're kind of sliding away. Um, but but cartooning I think is still quite popular. It's just a, you know. Print, uh, print magazines or print media is where, where they were appearing and still are, but where they were appearing. And in fact, I mean, it's kind of an, it's such an interesting question, um, Ian, that I've actually started a new foundation called cartoonists.org and it's devoted to, yeah, it's devoted to, we're, we're, we're donating our art. So it's, it's cartoonists from the Wall Street Journal and the New Yorker and we're donating our art to help charities raise funds, but we're also doing it to raise the, I, I guess we could use the pun. In my mission statement, we, we're we're using we're reframing cartooning um, as as collectible art as well. I love. I mean, I love all of that. I are we should uh, we should talk afterwards about uh, about some of those folks doing some work for mission because I I totally agree. I mean, I think that the way and we'll get into why this is so important and we'll get into personalization and and contact marketing um, in a little bit, but 
again, I go back to the ability to tell the story in one frame. Um, you have a wonderful cartoon on, on your site that you created, uh, and it's a man and a woman sitting down on their couch in their home, uh, holding a piece of mail. And she's saying to her husband, this one must be for you. It's addressed dear friend. No, it's dear fiend. Um, <laughs> it's even better. Gosh. It's a um, <laughs> yeah, it's even better. But, uh, I, I always, uh, I always thought, um, you know, my last name is Faison and I's and L's uh, look the same when they're capitalized, which I always thought was like the dumbest thing ever that the, you know, our language has two letters that look the exact same that are um, used the same. It's, it's got to be the most insane thing. Um, maybe that's an overstatement. But the reason why I say that is because uh, my dad used to get mail all the time that said Jim Falson. And uh, he's like, oh, this this guy must really care about this Jim Falson guys. A lot of water cooler talk. But it's just the ability to do something that that somebody feels, and I really feel like the the younger generation adoption of memes, adoption of uh, of taking screen grabs of things and and using text over it is the extension of this cartoon. The inverse of that is that a cartoon is something that you can create with a blank slate, and you can put anything there. And when you think about the tools of a marketer what more advantageous position to be in than someone who can put anything on there. They could talk about their customer pain points. They could talk about, um, you know, anything and it can resonate. What have you seen from cartoons that can help marketers succeed? Well, here's a couple of things. I mean, you, you, you just compared it to, to memes and you're right. Memes are, they're, they're a, a visual with, um, you know, with hopefully something humorous. You know, or well, you never know. Actually, that they're not always humorous, but um, but I would say that that they're also uh, authorless. We don't know who created them. You know, so there's no there's no fanhood to oh oh this is another this is a Gahan Wilson cartoon like there is I mean in cartoons or, or a Bob Mankoff cartoon or or uh, Mick Stevens etc. Roz Chast. Um, so there's there's no there's no personalities tied to it, and that's I, I would say that's a huge difference. But but here's the thing about cartoons: this is what makes them so powerful as marketing devices. And and by the way, um, I, I'll just say also though that we're talking about cartoons and they're fascinating, but they're not the only piece of contact marketing. And and sometimes I'm asked, you have to be a cartoonist to to use contact marketing, and that's not at all what it is. But but I love talking about cartoons. So. So here's the thing that's really wonderful about cartoons. Um, I mentioned the, the readership surveys, uh, I mean, the results from readership surveys saying they're the best read and remembered parts of any publication they're in. That's huge because they're collective works. Everything is supposed to be memorable and, and get your attention. It's the cartoons, these simple little drawings and, and a caption that, that actually cap all of them. But the other thing is that, you know, it's a form of humor. And if you think about the nature of humor, Humor is always about, I think anyway, it's always about some nugget of truth being revealed in a twist. Does that make any sense? I mean, when we find things funny, we're often, you know, in sort of the refractory part of that, when we're, we're, we're still laughing, we're going, oh my God, that's so true. It is like that. When we're always saying that's so true. Um, and, and which is why I'm, I, why I theorize that what this really is, is about truth being revealed in a twist. Well, that's really useful from a marketing standpoint as well. Because, you know, you, you have this thing that this, this device, really it's an engagement device, it gets everybody's attention 
Um, and then when they read it, if they're laughing, if they're going, oh, cool. What really happened was we just planted the point of agreement that we can then amplify in the, in the copy that goes with it. So if it was on a letter, for example, at a mailing, then the letter copy, or if it's in an ad, uh, the copy that goes with it, 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 it creates this theme. It creates a, it plants this, this immediate point of, of, um, of agreement, which is really powerful. I don't know of anything else that does that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, Mark Twain that said, uh, I didn't have time to write a shorter letter, so I wrote a long one instead. And it's, you know, there's, it's true, right? It's harder to tell a one-line story with, with one picture than it is to, you know, spend, you know, an entire book kind of telling that same story. Well, and, and, and back to the meme part, which I think it's a, it's a critical observation, and I'm glad you brought that up, that memes are authorless. They also invoke um, usually some type of like screen grab or screenshot or whatever it is of some type of pop culture or reference that the person instantly knows. So there's some amount of either nostalgia or just like the meme kind of ends up meaning something. So kind of the vehicle of that is... Um, we're talking so seriously about memes, but uh, <laughs> but I think it's I think it's important. We'll we'll and land this thing. It's you know weird. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, uh, but so I understand that it's silly. But I think this stuff is important because I think a lot of marketers spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to reach people and make them laugh and connect with them. Um, but all of these things root in some elemental human behavior or condition or thing that um, the author of the meme knows about and like some secret that they're sharing or something that they think that people will agree with. And with, with memes, you're kind of like using the background of that as, you know, a fodder for, to, to tell the story easier. But again, back to cartoons, it's something that, like you said, has an author, has a point of view, um, and also starts from zero, which again, as a marketer, it's extremely powerful. You used cartoons in a way that is extremely interesting and, you know, dare I say revolutionary uh, at the time. Kind of talk me through when you first got the idea to, uh, to, to leverage this in, in your sales process and your marketing process. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it, it's actually a continuation of the magazine story because, you know, I wanted to create uh, direct mail campaigns for subscription and acquisition and renewal campaigns for the big publishers. And so I, I really quickly, I got assignments for one for Rolling Stone and one for Bon Appetit magazine. So both of those, you know, you create a test. And I, I think your audience will, will really appreciate this fact that when you create a test, and in that situation, I mean, these, these were relentless testers, very sophisticated testers. So they all had these very tough controls to beat. And, um, and I ended up beating both of their controls first time out. So the first time I ever applied a cartoon to a mailing, um, in, in the way that I, that I thought was going to work, ended up beating their controls. So, you know, that was my opening. I, I thought, okay, great. Then I'm going to bring this to the rest of the publishing industry. Now I've got a story to tell. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to put together a little campaign. I didn't know what to call it. So I called it a contact campaign. I've got to call it something. And, and my contact campaign was an eight by 10 print of one of my cartoons with a caption, of course, per, I mean, well, I shouldn't say of course, but it's personalized. So for each recipient, um, the cartoon was about them. And it went with a letter that just said, hey, this is the device that I just used to reach, I'm sorry, to beat the controls for 
Rolling Stone and Bon Appetit, and I think we should put this to the test for your titles. Of course, this went out to about two dozen, yeah, let's say two dozen VPs and, and directors of either circulation or consumer marketing at the, the big you know, print media houses, Time Inc. and Condé Nast and the Wall Street Journal and Forbes and all, all these big publishers. And, um, and the thing is, I was thinking, well, you know, I, I want to get through to all these people, but I'm going to put out a campaign. And, you know, in, in that, in the, the realm of direct marketing or direct mail, they used to say, maybe they still do, that, that, that if you get a 1% response rate, you're doing really well. Or that's a typical response rate. I, there's no such number, actually. But, but, uh, but I was thinking, well, if I got a 1% response rate to this campaign, it wouldn't even amount to one person because I'm only going to two dozen people. Yeah, so, sure, of course. You know, and, I'm, and when, I, when I'm talking to groups, I, I always have kind of fun telling the story and I'm saying, I asked the group, well, what do you think I got for a response? And, um, and the fact, and you know, people will say, well, maybe 10%, maybe 20%. And the fact is, I got through to all of them and all of them became clients. So it was a 100% contact or, or let's say response rate. And it was a 100% conversion rate. It launched my business. It was worth millions of dollars to me. And it all started from a campaign that I spent, I don't know, a hundred bucks on, something like that. So that was my introduction to contact marketing. And so why, why do you think that that was so successful? What was the, what was the, uh, the secret sauce of that campaign? Well, I think the thing, well, you know, cartoons, we discussed that. It's, you know, it, they, people are going to pay attention. Um, they're, uh, they, but there, they, there was more going on because I'm the cartoonist. I'm the sender of this. So, um, so I, I think what really happened was two things. One is that it humanized me. You know, a lot of, we're all trying, in sales, we're all trying to connect with each other. Really, I should just say in business in general, we're all trying to connect with each other and there's too much of it. And that's, that's made even tougher with all the social media streams. It's just, it's all this, it's just this deluge of people who want to get in touch and sell you stuff. So, so it's, it's dehumanizing. And so the challenge becomes, or actually always has been to humanize yourself to someone you don't know. So they go, wow, that's really cool. In fact, the second part is you really want, I, I think this is, this really makes sense. You really want them to, to be saying to themselves, or just their reaction should be, man, I love the way this person thinks. We've got to meet. So was this kind of the first impetus for you to start thinking about writing a book, which ended up become how to get a meeting with anyone? Um, was this kind of the first like aha moment where you said, hey, maybe there's something larger about this idea of contact marketing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes, because I thought, well, wow, you know, we're, we're always hearing 1% is a, in direct mail is a good response rate. And, and, and more importantly, 100% response rates are impossible. That's what we were always told. And here I got a camp, here I had a campaign that got 100% response. It was a small campaign, but that didn't matter. It, the, the, uh, the outcome of all of that was was enormous, and I mean, look at the ROI. I spent a hundred dollars and made millions. It's it's a crazy set of metrics that um, that I thought, well, okay, I, I don't know what to do with that. I'm not even sure how to process that because that's not none of this is supposed to be possible. And there it just happened. But the one thing that really that really set set me off was I thought, well, okay, if I reach those people, then who else can I reach? How far can I take it? And so I started using, you know, cartoons. I just I use cartoons all the time to reach people, and and I thought, can I reach presidents? Yep, 
I did. How about prime ministers? Yep. How about celebrities? Yep. And, and then really much more usefully, how about CEOs and C-level executives or top decision makers and within, within the companies you want to, I want to reach? And the answer to that all the way across the board was, yes, it works. And then I, I thought, okay, well, aren't I cool? I have a secret weapon. I can reach anyone. But then, wait a minute, I'm not the only one facing this challenge. So then I got really curious about what's everyone else doing to, to do that. And, and so, you know, every once in a while, a story would come across the bow. Uh, you know, someone would tell a story about how someone used a, I don't know, one, one person used an ad to, in, in the, they wanted to reach Larry Ellison, the CEO and founder of, of Oracle. And, and so how did they reach him? They, they wrote a, wrote a contact letter, produced it as a full page ad and ran it in the Wall Street Journal, so, which is pretty audacious. And they got through to him. And, 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 and the, the contact, the port, or I should say the point of the contact was this was done by an agency and their client. The, the client wanted to present the, the, this company of theirs, um, it's a sort of late stage startup. They felt that Larry Ellison would probably want to buy it. And he did. And he bought it for $350 million. So they spent $10,000 to run the ad and ended up with a $350 million deal. So that's a three and a half million percent ROI. Um, these stories started flowing in and okay, the more, I, the more I saw this, I just realized, wow, there's a book here. Obviously, I'm not the, I'm not the only one doing this at all. And cartoons are not nowhere near the only way to do this. People were coming, I mean, I, I ended up discovering all kinds of ways that people were, were using just very clever, really well thought out, but really aud audacious means, I would say. I mean, sometimes, sometimes maybe they're not quite so audacious, but I mean, one guy used a cupcake to reach a client finally and got a $200,000 deal out of it. So I guess a cupcake is not outrageous, but the way that he used it was, and the, certainly the, the metrics from some of these campaigns, I don't mean to say that a cupcake is a campaign either. I, I, I you know, marketers I really need to, really need to have them hear that this is a form of marketing that is producing metrics that are really, really bizarre. Um, but the highest response rate now that, that I've found is uh, 69,500,000%. That's a whopper of a number. That's a, I mean, how do you even understand that number? Yeah, what's the, what's the campaign? Uh, it, was a, <laughs> it was for a, a company called Aurabrush. They were a startup. And for about a year, they were selling, um, the, it's a, a tongue cleaner. So they were selling their product through YouTube videos and doing it really well. I, I, they, were, they, were, they were running at a clip of about a million dollars a year um, just from that, that portion of their startup uh, story. But then they thought, well, okay, let's, let's break into Walmart now. Let's, let's do that. So they, they went the route that everybody does. I guess they, they um, sent in all the applications, whatever, whatever the process is and to, to get um, placed in wall or, you know, get the buyers interested in a product in Walmart, put it into Walmart. And they did that and nothing was happening. So the CEO was telling me the story. He said, he had some young guys, straight out of college who were handling his, his social media marketing. And so um, they did this on their own. They put together a little ad that, that they ran in Facebook. And, um, and the ad said, it showed their tongue cleaner and their, their spokesman for the, from the, the YouTube videos. And it said, Walmart employees have bad breath, but they won't if you, if you carry this product in your stores. And the, the really ingenious part of this was that 
they targeted it really, really precisely. So it was the, I can't remember the zip code, but only to the zip code where the Bentonville, Arkansas, Walmart headquarters exists, and only to people in a certain age band and with a certain level of education. So essentially, they're, they're targeting the headquarters only. Really, they were targeting buyers. And within two days, so 48 hours, they got a call from Walmart. But this was from their communications department saying, what is going on here? Well, they, they said, would you please, are you the ones behind this ad? Yes, we are. Would you take that down immediately, please? Yes, of course. And then they were relieved. So, so was this ad run nationally? No, no, this was just run to you guys. Really? Well, how did you do that? Oh, really? Okay, well, you're really pretty good at, at, at um, digital marketing, aren't you? Yeah, we're, we're, we're really pretty good at this. And before they knew it, they were in contact with the buyer for dental products. Um, and that buyer placed a $1.5 million order for 730,000 units of the, of the tongue cleaner. So that's a huge, I mean, it's a big response. So, well, it's a big response, but certainly a big ROI on a $28 ad, a contact ad that was run on, on Facebook. But it got a little better because I asked the CEO, well, okay, wait a minute. You're a startup at that point. You've been selling online and you've been selling, let's say, well, I'm not, let's say, you've been selling about a million dollars worth of, of product in that in the first year that you were up. But now suddenly you're you're rolled out in 6,800 uh, Walmart stores. What did that do to your valuation? And he said, well, he said, conservatively, it multiplied it by 10. So he said he figured that that uh, if, if he just uh, valued the, the company at that point at $2 million, so twice twice uh, sales, that it then went to $20 million that day. So that's a, if you subtract the $2 million valuation of the company that was, was already there, that was a $1.5 million order and an $18 million um, increase in the, in the valuation of the company from that one response. So that's, that's where that comes from. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. There's a, yeah, there's a, uh, I've heard a couple of similar stories like that with investors where um, there's like a meal, meal prep company where they targeted the families of a bunch of different VCs in the Valley um, and all of their significant others got like free gifts in the mail. That was like, you know, this mail meal prep service and uh, kind of like everybody was talking about it. Or you hear the people who buy like three billboard ads, like, like right near one particular, uh, you know, like VC's office or something like that. I, you know, I think that it's funny because it, it kind of goes back to like, number one, do you know your customer? Number two, um, do you know what they're thinking about, what they're concerned about? Um, and then how do you get them something in a cost-effective way? And I'm glad that you brought up Audacious. We just did an episode on how to build Audacious repeatable content. And uh, yeah, part of the big piece of this for me is like, you know, Marketing is meant to be remarkable. Um, the whole point of this is to be remembered uh, for people to share with someone else, whether it's their significant other, their friend, their colleague, their boss, you know, whatever it is. Um, and so if you're just, if you don't separate from the noise, then, um, you know, it's just, it's just too hard to stand out. Yeah. You know, I love what you just said about sharing the, the, the campaign with their colleagues and boss and so forth. Well, I, I should mention also that the highest response to a contact campaign that I, I know of so far is is now 300%. So 
So it's gone beyond the 100%. And you might wonder, well, what does that even mean? How can you get numbers like this? And it's precisely from what you just said. It's from people being so, um, so I don't know, impressed or enamored, um, just so affected by the, by the campaign, by what it is that you sent or did, that, um, that they share it with, with friends and colleagues. And before you know it, more response comes in because they're, they're spreading the campaign. And that's actually what's been happening. So let's get into your new book, which is coming out soon. Can you share kind of what is the, uh, what is the next evolution? What, is, uh, what, what were you working on? Sure. I, I should start really by where, where, how, to, how to get a meeting with anyone started with, which is that I, I interviewed the top 20, sorry, top 100 sales uh, thought leaders in the world and asked them, when you absolutely must break through to someone of great importance, someone who's nearly impossible to reach, what are you doing to do that? And they shared all kinds of methods. And, you know, a lot of what we've just been talking about sounds like it's not replicable. And, and I would say some of those things are. I mean, you're not going to be bringing cupcakes to everyone, I guess. But, but a lot of these campaigns are, they are campaigns. They're not stunts. I just want to make that point. And we end, I ended up with 20 categories of contact marketing campaign types. So that's what, that's what informed how to get a meeting with anyone. That's where that came from. Well, immediately after that came out, it did really well, and it really touched the nerve. So um, I hear mostly from, I, I, primarily it's from salespeople, but also CEOs and company owners and so on, um, because everyone needs to get meetings, I guess. Um, but one of the things, a couple of things they said. One was, I loved it. I, I loved reading it. I wish I could have seen what these campaigns look like. There was no photography. There's just my cartoons in there. Um, and the other thing that they um that they would that they were doing was sharing a lot of other stories. So as soon as the book came out, it was almost it's not. I was going to say it's it's uh, it's it's already you know past past its due its due date. I mean it's, but it wasn't. It's just these are all all the the, the, the things that are in how to get a meeting, meeting with anyone are still entirely valid. Um, it's not been expired. It's not expired. But but what I realized was well there were more things to report on. More, uh, more methods to report on, more stories to, to share. Um, and really, ultimately, I ended up, I mean, we started with, with Get the Meeting. It started, a, it's a companion to how to get a meeting with anyone. Um, I thought, well, okay, the thing we'll start with is uh, a collection of case studies with photography this time so people can see what it looks like. And we've got about 60 or so, not quite 70 case studies in the book with photography. Um, and really interesting things that people have been doing. But also, it was just, you know, I kept hearing about more, more methods for breaking through. So there are some really interesting uses of, of AI and unsolicited proposals and um, virtual reality. And uh, God, I'm just not going to remember all of them, but all kinds of really interesting methods for, for breaking through. I also realized that there are some wonderful examples from Hollywood of contact marketing in in process, and so yeah, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Hitch with Will Smith, but he, he, Hitch is um, is a, is actually a dating consultant, or maybe it's more than that, a re- relationship consultant. He he helps people meet each other, and well, how how close is that to what I'm doing? It's in, I do it in sales, um, but he was using all sorts of really interesting methods that actually had a lot of overlap with what's in my books or in my first book. And, and so, um, so there's that story in there. And 
Um, also a really fascinating story about how Chris Christopherson, the singer-songwriter, who, um, these names are now getting kind of close, but Chris Christopherson wanted to connect with Johnny Cash, and he did it in the most incredibly audacious way. He flew a helicopter over to Johnny Cash's house, landed on his front lawn, and handed him a demo tape. That was how they connected. So there's some really, really wonderful stories of how people are making these critical connections. And um, the thing that I realized after a while, Ian, was that, um, well, okay, when we, when we integrate also uh, some other uses of, of uh, digital marketing into this, there's a new, there's a new model um, that's, that's emerging from all this. So there actually is a new model for contact marketing, and it includes a track for, um, for digital persistence using, uh, using uh, remarketing ads. There's really great ways to use that, and probably have heard of Terminus or Rollworks, but, but running ads to, to people, I probably a lot like the, the story of, of Walmart and Ourobrush. When you run ads to people, they, they see it, and if you run, run them enough, let's say even before you reach out to them, well, they feel like you, it, it looks like you're being advertised everywhere because if you're using the Google ad network or display network, then those ads follow you everywhere. So it looks like you're a national advertiser, or maybe, you know, if I was using those ads, I'd run an ad with my two books and a headline that says, one meeting can change everything, and probably put a link into Amazon to go buy it. But I don't really care whether you buy it. It's just, I, you're looking at it, and it looks like Amazon is advertising my books. And if you're from the New York Times or or Wall Street Journal or WSJ.com, et cetera, or anywhere else you go on the web, um, and you see these ads everywhere, it looks like that. For me, for my part, it would look like Amazon is advertising my book. That's a pretty impressive thing. And then to then hear from the from the author is actually probably pretty surprising, impressive, impressive as well. So so those ads are part of a a persistence track in the in the model. And then there's also a replacement for business cards. Some of these meetings that we have, we we're involved with outreach. I mean, that's how they come as a result of outreach. And sometimes they're just, you meet someone at a networking event or on a plane and you ought to be ready to do something more than just hand them a business card, something better than handing them a business card. And in this case, the business, uh, the, the, the pocket campaign element also ties back to the digital persistence campaign. So when you hand someone a pocket campaign, they end up in that digital persistence campaign along with the other people that are in your outreach list or your account-based marketing um, uh, list. And uh, and then, of course, it's all still centered around really powerful outreach methodologies. So that's that's the that's the book. It's it's a companion to how to get a meeting with anyone. It adds more methods to um, to, to the 20 that were, or the categories of contact marketing campaigns that are, the 20 that are already in. Um, how to get a meeting with anyone. So together, it's, I guess it's probably something like 36 methods for um, mounting a, a contact marketing campaign and lots and lots of photography. Did you kind of feel like at the end of, you know, at the end of all of that research that there was, you know, some additional kind of thing that you um, like wanted to tell from the illustrative standpoint? Because I, I think it's really interesting that, um you wanted to build, you know, illustrative resources a- as well. Yeah, I mean, like, the, the, are there thoughts that, have, like, the first book, more thoughts that have already popped up? You know, to be able to kind of make sure that people understand, like, 
from an illustrative standpoint, like why this stuff is so important, I guess. Does that make sense? Well, I think when you when you go through these stories, there are a lot of stories throughout the, both of the books. When you go through these stories, I think one of the things, I think it sets your hair on fire. Sorry to use a cliche, but I think it does because you just say, oh my gosh, you know, we all, we need to get our sales to, uh, people through to their top accounts. Uh, and we, we tell them, we, I mean, through ABM, we tell them what accounts we want them to go after or, you know, it could be, with uh, with leads as well, but certainly through the the, the, the ABM regime, you, salespeople are told which accounts they're to break into. But I don't know that they're really given a lot of tools for doing it. Um, I mean, they are and they aren't. They're they're using CRM. They're using um, tools like I don't know. Ombora um, is an interesting one. What are people searching on, and who are, who's making the searches? That's kind of interesting. Um, Navigator is another good one, but what do they what do they actually use as an outreach method, and how do you give them something, a tool that they can use that works? I mean, that creates repetitive um, outcomes, repetitive response rates, for example, um, and and that's what contact marketing is all about. So, so I, you know, I think that's the importance of the two is that it's these are the tools that can actually help. The salespeople bridge that gap. They're told which accounts to go after, and there the accounts are, but they don't know them yet. And so what are they going to do to bridge that gap? And contact marketing is the bridge to that gap. And, you know, when you look at the the, at the metrics that it produces, you, you can see that well, if you're focused on the, the people, that we could say either the, the, the top 5% of accounts in an account list or just the people that a handful of people or relative handful of people who have the power to change the scale of your career or your business. Um, if you spend a few dollars, or it could be a thousand dollars, or it could be more, a little bit less, whatever. You spend that that kind of money per person. That's really shocking from a marketing perspective. I would, I would imagine from every every marketer listening to this, they're going, they're probably saying, what? That's, that's ridiculous amount. But if you're then also getting these enormous response rates um, and, and ROI figures, and it actually makes a lot of sense because you, what you're doing is saying, let's get the top people in as clients. That makes sense. It makes all kinds of sense. Um, so I, does, that, does that answer the question? Yeah. And I think, you know, from the ABM standpoint, we've, we've had a lot of discussions about ABM, but I think the how rather than the why, I think is something that I think folks struggle with. Um, because you don't want to be annoying. You don't want to be invasive. You don't want to be uh, a nuisance uh, as a marketer or as a salesperson. And to create value for someone else is is a hugely important part of that. Mm -hmm. It is. And and doing it in a way that really, really has impact in their lives. But there's no shortcut around that. It has to have impact for them. And it has to be well-timed and relevant, or I should say relevance. It has to have all of that. So you know, we're, we've talked a lot about cartoons. Cartoons are wonderful devices, but they're certainly not the only way to do this. Um, and But you can see, though, through that illustration, that if I'm sending someone a cartoon, and I, you know, I'm one of the Wall Street Journal cartoonists, um, like let's say if I'm sending, we do this all the time for clients. We use cartoons to help their sales teams break through, and it's, there's a preamble to the, to the assistant, um, which goes something like, hi, I'm, so-and-so, and I'm sending a print of a cartoon by one of the Wall Street Journal cartoonists, and it's about your boss. 
Well, all, does that few collection of words already has the executive assistant saying, wait, what? Really? And and so it opens, it, it, it's opening doors. And yes, that's that, yes, that's exactly right. We're, I'm sending that print, you know, I wanted to be a surprise to your boss, but not to you. Would you mind if I send you an email with details? Sure. They get the, so they're already, they're, they include, it includes the executive assistant in the, in the contact campaign. And the executive assistant is also being, I don't know, they're, they're not being manipulated. They, they're, they're talent scouts. They need to know that whatever it is that's coming in over the phone line is relevant to their boss. Stu, it's been absolutely awesome having you on the show. Uh, any final thoughts uh, before we get out of here? I highly recommend everybody check out both of your books. Um, and uh, where can they find those? The one thought that I could leave everyone is that headline I mentioned on, on the My Hypothetical app. Really, truly, one meeting can change everything. And everybody needs meetings. Everybody sells. And in order to do that, uh, we need to make connections with the people who can change the, the scale of our of our efforts. Yeah, you know, I couldn't agree more. And I, I think that a lot of times we just you know misunderestimate those uh, those uh, the importance of those single kind of moments in time. Um, no, I love that. Uh, so, where can people find uh, find your books? They're everywhere. Find books are sold. So, except the airport, I guess. <laughs> Maybe not. I don't know about that, but certainly. Um, uh, Barnes and Noble and Amazon and Books a Million, um, Indigo, and um, you can go directly to the publisher Ben Bella. You can buy it. It's a lot of places you can buy it. Um, that's that's how you would find the book. And you have a podcast too. Yeah. How to get a meeting with anyone? Podcast. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I've enjoyed. Thank you for asking because I've enjoyed this discovery process so much. I just get to talk to people and say, "Well, how are you breaking through?" And they tell me these stories, and they're just they're just amazing. So. Um, so that's the whole point of the podcast. It's called the How to Get a Meeting with Anyone podcast. And, um, and, and I interview people and just ask them, okay, well, so how are you breaking through? Or, or the last one, one that was just on, we were exploring sales enablement with the sales enablement manager for a big uh, tech company. So what does it look like, sales enablement within a big tech company? What are they using? What's their stack look like? And what kinds of tools are they using to help their, their sales team break through? Um, other times it's stories like, like, uh, like, uh, like my friend uh, Rick, who um, stood up when I was giving a speech at one point. I said, you know, probably in this audience, there are great stories. So does anyone have a great story about, you know, how you broke through to someone of great importance? And Rick was the, the fellow who stood up and he said, well, you probably think this is kind of silly, but I used a cupcake. <laughs> got through this, to this um, prospect that I hadn't been able to reach any other way, but it was his birthday and I brought the cupcake by and, I don't know, they felt, either felt sorry for him or they felt badly that he was so hard to reach and suddenly there it was. So all kinds of really interesting stories of how people are making these connections on the, the How to Get a Meeting with Anyone podcast. Awesome. Thanks, Stu. Really appreciate you coming on the show. And uh, yeah, we'll be following, uh, following along. What a pleasure to be on. Thanks so much, Ian. Take care. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com marketing.
you have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.